Hello, and welcome to Manga Explaining, the show where we recommend great manga to folks who haven't read much manga before. Hosted by Deb Aoki, Christopher Butcher, Chip Zdarsky, and myself, David Brothers. Follow along with our show notes and reading list at mangasplaining.com. And to our listeners, I successfully did our intro without stumbling over the order of our names for the first time in probably 40 episodes. So, applause, please. Hakusho, <laughs> <laughs> hakusho. <laughs> So we are here this week because I wanted to throw kind of a curveball at the manga explaining gang because we've gotten pretty good at this whole manga explaining thing over the past year. Actually, I think we're coming up on a year mark pretty soon. Forty-eight wow. episodes, fifty-two, yeah. And basically, that curveball has several curveballs in one for me because it's an independent comic that's about love and is a little bit ambiguous, which are three things that I like to read but I'm not great at discussing. Mm. And, you know, I've been a comics critic for a long time. It turns out I, the date is January 17th, 2005 was when I decided to start writing about comics officially, which I only know oh. because I got an email from LiveJournal about it, which was very emotionally devastating that morning. <laughs> so I've gotten very comfortable talking about certain kinds of books. And I feel like there are some books I could talk about almost sight unseen. Like you could hand it to me and I could find something to say about it, you know, on the day of. Mm. But independent comics have long been a blind spot because i feel like these are the ones where you know chris mentioned he doesn't want to bring down a book by accident talking you know when discussing an independent project for me it's i want to raise up to the level of the independent book because it feels like that's what the smarty art people read like the mm, yeah. graphics and yeah. the drawn and quarterlies and types so it's always a little intimidating but i really enjoy reading them and i wanted to bring it to the crew to kind of see what the manga explaining gang would do with a book with a story rather like the blood red boy by minami kuta so this is a digital work in the west it was published in japan originally starfruit books brought it over translated it the translator was dan luffy for the english version and antonio valdez for the spanish version and then samuel messner they did a swedish version they added after i bought it which is kind of cool and matt hosh and mina sandoval edited the english and spanish versions uh respectively, with Aiden Clark doing quality control and retouch. And essentially, I've got a little summary here that is also on the site because it's just 16 pages long, so it's very quick to discuss. The Blood Red Boy is an unconventional story of self-identity and the complexity of interpersonal relationships. Minami Kyuta explores this search for self, love, in the 16-page one-shot. And Kyuta herself has been a mangaka since the early 90s. 1992 was the date I found while doing some research. She's made several books, but we'll just focus on Blood Red Boy and kind of pimp the others at the end of the episode. So I honestly don't know where to start. So I'm going to just talk about my experience reading this for the first time and then kind of dive into it and see what everybody has to say. I bought this because I saw a link on Twitter. It was a book that was a manga translated into English that also had a Spanish translation. And I lived in Spain for a while, and my Spanish is very rusty. And the thought of being guilty about not learning two languages kind of appealed to me. And plus, it cost two bucks. So I figured, why not test it out? Why not see how it goes? And I was surprised because I didn't get it at all the first time. But it was the kind of not getting it where I immediately read it again to see what I missed. Kind of like knowing what I know now, how does the story read? And I kept finding myself wanting to put it in different boxes. Like, is it saying something about society? Is it just about these two people? And I came down with a lot of, I don't know, which means that I kept kind of thinking about it off and on over the next few weeks until I had the idea to bring it to the gang. So I want to start with Deb. 
tell us about your experience with the Blood Red Boy, and maybe in the process we'll find some structure for the episode. I'm I'm horrified that you don't know either, because I was going to ask you what to think of this <laughs> story. It's like, yeah, it's it's 16 pages at least. It, for me, at least, more questions than it mm-hmm. answers any anything. It's kind of like this this impressionistic little short short film, like art film. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of feel guilty in like you know like how kind of how like you feel stupid if you don't kind of get something. Like what am I Constantly. missing here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like like who's the boy? <laughs> mm-hmm. And this uh, what's the oh, wait? She's a girl, right? And um, she's sleeping with her editor, and her editor may or may not be gay. I yeah don't know. You tell me. <laughs> yeah, if I had to explain it, there's an older guy who's friends with a younger lady. The guy is almost fifty. The lady's in her early thirties, and they they're friends and they sleep together. And yeah. she doesn't present very feminine, and he um is totally okay with that and kind of into it. And when she goes and meets her client, who she's also engaged to, you know, she's kind of rebuffed and he denies herself. Like, you know, he doesn't really get why she is the way she is. But she thinks back to her friend and the way he accepted her immediately. And they kind of bond from that moment on is kind of how I read it. That's a legit reading of it. I did get the feeling her friend had been sleeping with men for a while. Right, because it it's another, a little bit and, unclear. Yeah, because another guy approached him and you know, like, offered services in, in exchange for favors. It's very shy. He's kind of like socially awkward a little bit, mm-hmm. but but not not. See, that's the weird thing, right? It's like they're friends, and they are. They say they're drinking buddies. Like you know, sixteen pages. There's a lot of stuff that gets told in those sixteen pages, but it's like, wait, is this the first time? Have they known each other for a long time? Is this the first time they decide to have sex together? Why? <laughs> All kinds of stuff, right? So, but it just kind of like gives you these little little hints and glimpses of stuff, and then at the end, you're just supposed to accept it. Sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you enjoy reading it, even though it was kind of confusing? I enjoy her art. I think she has mm-hmm. a really nice style. I guess it's, you know, I mean, you could kind of tell yourself like, well. I think one thing that comes from reading a lot of manga and a lot of visual storytelling in general, and a lot, a lot of TVs, movies, whatever, is that you start to see what's going to come next. Mm-hmm. Like things, plot, plots will unfold a certain way. You know, certain things will be resolved a certain way. Certain characters will be a certain way. This does not give you the luxury of that. Yeah, does, does not give you the luxury of a predictable character. Does not give you the luxury of a particular turn of events <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah in that in that way it's interesting the older i get the more i like stories like this because it, it you know it's not only the fact that like with most stories you can kind of anticipate what's coming it's the fact that we all are either critics creators massive consumers of, of comics and stories so we can really see the mechanics of a thing yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to kind of be surprised by something. Oh, and it's hard to surprise people with something. So that's why I kind of appreciate stories like this because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, oh, okay. I didn't expect that. Like every page is kind of a bit of a revelation. Yeah. And regarding the boy, I took the boy as a 
figurative state of mind kind of thing, more so than a literal thing. How's that? Yeah. Like the, the it closes on a line. Also, listeners, we're going to spoil it. It's very short and very, there's only so have. much dialogue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so take that spoiler warning. Imagine I said it at the beginning of the episode. But they say that they each found the invincible boy inside ourselves on the last page of the story. And kind of what enabled that was both of them finding someone who appreciates each other for who they are. Like the older man, Akimi, he had the younger boy who was like, oh, it's just like a sex relationship. But the older man was like, no, I wanted to actually you know, be a part of your life. While Midori had a partner who she was very dedicated to. And his reaction to being told that was like, why are you telling me this? And yeah. just, you know, it's pretty cold. And then I think it says a lot that it says the two of them closed their eyes. And in that moment, like while the older man was running his fingers across Midori's stomach, like that's when they found peace when they found each other. And I thought that was surprisingly tender. And I think it felt extra tender because I kind of had to decode it a little bit. Like I had to read it that mm-hmm. second time and look at the characters with fresh eyes instead of trying to like figure out who they are on my first read. Cause like Chip said, like you can't turn off critic brain or <laughs> yeah. editor brain or yeah. anything. So the whole time I was like, oh, what is this saying? What is this doing? And I think what I came down on is I'm not 100% sure, but it's very tender and kind in ways that make me interesting or make me interested with where I am in life and dating now. Yeah. Mm. And I can see Christopher thinking, so I really want to get his take. I think it's funny. Actually, my first thing I thought when I finished reading this was, wow, Chip always makes that joke about how he was going to like just start reading the book <laughs> in the introduction of the, of the podcast. Like, <laughs> And this is the only one where he could have actually theoretically done it. Sure. Like he could have, from yeah. the time David started talking to when you know <laughs> called the Bondeb, could have read the story maybe twice. Actually, which yeah. I thought was very funny. That was my immediate thought. <laughs> so shows you that I had turned off my critic brain. Actually, <laughs> just had my podcasting producer brain on. <laughs> Man, I think it's. I actually want to respond to something you said first, and I okay. think it's about turning on or off your critic brain. And I actually. I know it doesn't seem like it maybe, or maybe it does to people that think I've got shit takes, but I kind of try to turn off my critic brain when I read the manga for the podcast. Hmm. I try to, with very few exceptions, I try to approach a lot of the manga we cover as an entertainment because that's actually how it's produced for the most part. Like it's not to say we don't read challenging things or things that are outside of like a pure entertainment sphere, but you know, we do try to read, we do read a lot of stuff that's popular or populist or runs in mainstream magazines. And every once in a while, we'll read something that's a little bit off the beaten path. And I think we rise to that occasion, but never something quite as indie or as independent or as artistic or artsy, if not artistic <laughs> as this. So I did actually read it like I read a lot of manga explaining books. In my first past, I read it like I read Kamen Rider, which is, <laughs> whoa, whew, that was a take. <laughs> I got to the end of it and I'm like, whoa, what? wait, what? Like I read it quick, like quick, yeah. like, like it was Common Rider, 18 consecutive pages of pinups as opposed to a story. And I think obviously that does a huge disservice to the work, like a huge <laughs> disservice to the work, but it, it works at that speed. It's not, it doesn't, it seems like really unprofound and really kind of like nice hard air quotes mm-hmm. at that speed. And I've read it probably 10 or 11 times since then because it takes no time and that was actually a lot more i think i've picked up on a lot more on subsequent rereads and thinking about it and i think that that's maybe the most important thing i have to say about this manga this yeah. week is that it does reward giving yourself time to read it the first time especially but also going back to it and rereading it and when you're maybe you're in a different mood 
or a different place. And it's not something we can always say. It's like, I think you guys are all crazy about Nausicaa. And if you went, if you were in the right mood, you would have read it and been a little bit more charitable or maybe gotten it or maybe gotten into it a little no. bit more, right? No. But you also can't say, hey, you're in a good mood. Go read 240 pages of <laughs> dense manga. It's going to take you three hours. Like, no, it's not. That's not anyway. I anyway. was in a great mood yeah. when I started reading Nausicaa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe you needed to be in a different a shitty mood or something. As for the story itself, the, the last piece of the puzzle I just figured out while you guys were talking, actually, hmm. and I couldn't tell why it was called The Blood Red Boy. I couldn't figure out the connection between the title page and page one, where Midori says, the prettier the boy, the better. I admire them a great deal. And the rest of the story, which is a pretty consecutive narrative. Like it's which, you know, Akemi and, and Midori are together. They go apart and you follow each of their independent stories until they get back together again at the end. I did kind of figure it out. And it's, you know, again, this is where you get into, this is Chris's take as opposed to <laughs> reading the story and the things I have to say that are important. And I think it really is about gender and gender presentation and finding your place in the world. And I think, you know, you see Midori sort of with like these, this beautiful illustration of Midori on page two, counting the title page. And, you know, the prettier the boy, the better. I admire them a great deal. And she is the image there. But we don't know that it's necessarily her talking. We just know that this is being said. And it goes right into Akemi, who's 48 and, you know, kind of a schlubby dude, cute in his way, saying, I'm not a homo or anything. I've done it with girls before. I want to do it with you too, Midori. What do you say? Direct, blunt, you know, mid late 40s salary man type dude who works in the arts field. I've met this guy like, a dozen times <laughs> and it's like he's not a homo or anything but he's definitely had he's done some stuff with boys too and he's not he's that's why he feels he has to bring up that he's done stuff with girls and he says i want to do it with you too midori what do you say and then they end up getting together because why not what are you doing on a tuesday afternoon other than sure let's go for a roll in the hay and see what happens then they do and then they both say it felt really good and she says I was surprised by how good it felt. And that was the, that was it for me. That was like the turning point for the whole story. Yeah. Where it was like, mm-hmm. she's in this relationship yeah. that has seemingly everything where it's like, you know, a, an important guy, you know, getting married, maybe like a marriage track situation. And it wasn't until she's like, Oh, maybe like, I did not expect sex to feel good. Like you kind of read it at first uncharitably. Like I didn't expect sex with you to feel good. Yeah. But it's really clear. She didn't expect sex to feel good. And then, you know, you sort of go through the rest of the story. It's, he expresses, uh, he says, I like how unwomanly you are. Midori, I have a request for you. Don't ever wear a skirt, okay? And she says, ah. And she's, and it's like setting up as a counterpoint to when she goes off to meet her betrothed. And he's like, oh, you dressed nice today. You were, you dressed up and you look good and you look like feminine. You know, she's like, okay, this isn't going to work actually. Because so I like someone else's, I, I can be appreciated for who I want to be rather than who you want me to be. You get to the end. There's the whole point with the, you know, the the very hot dude who's hitting on the 48 year old guy and saying, "Hey, will you have sex with me for money because I'm broke?" And he's just like, "Just how stupid are you?" And it's such a good reaction panel, right? And you get that moment, and it's like you get to the end. They get together, you know, they have this moment of intimacy. We each, and then it ends, as David said, we each found the invincible boy inside of ourselves. So it's, there's like a, a pretty straight ahead level there that you can appreciate the story on. And it's Akemi, the 48 year old dude clearly appreciates attractive young men, the, the prettier, the more beautiful, the better. Maybe it's kind of implied that Midori appreciates them on a different level. 
because she's pushing her personal style and her personal presentation in the world into a pretty boy sort of a space rather yeah. than a more feminine, mm. effeminate, pretty clothing space, yeah. right? Yep. We each found the invincible boy inside of ourselves. She found the boy inside of herself because she met somebody who thought that was okay, as opposed to the people in her life. He found that person inside of himself, and that was something he was always really into, pretty you know, boys and helping them out and wanting to extend help to them. And, but no, he wasn't, you know, it's not a, it's not a gay thing, you know, sometimes, you know, stuff happens, but it's not a gay thing, but it's like clearly was, and they each found this part inside themselves. And that's, that's like, that was my top level reading of the story as of this morning, before I read it again, just before we started the podcast. Like and, and 40 reads talk. ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now I have a slightly different thought, um, but I've talked so long that I want to get uh, someone else's impression yeah i don't know if you guys want to respond to what i've said or if we want to go right to chip i really I'll, I'll respond and then go to chip because you while you were talking i actually realized i've been reading the surprise line uncharitably as well yeah but the way you explain it it fits perfectly with the reason they get together and it also mm-hmm. sent me like tipping down like my memories i was like oh wait like i've had this moment where i was like oh this is how it's supposed to feel this but it's not how it feels right now <laughs> you know yeah so thank you chris yeah ugly people fuck and it feels great (laughs) a lot of the rest of the world think that that couldn't possibly be the case and there's like a real clear statement here about that which i think is is actually really nice and it's presented in a way that lets you have your own biases about it which i think is why this is good why i actually have this many thoughts about it at all right yeah like if this was just if this was just one note i could have been like it's all right (laughs) just a short episode (laughs) one day we'll have one of those episodes but Chip, was this all right? Yeah, this might sound like a cop-out, but I basically just agree with everything Chris said. Mm-hmm. I think it's the first time on the history of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Though, uh, one of the things that uh, I found really interesting was the fact that he says to her, don't ever wear a skirt, okay? That feels like that's, that's such a strange thing not to say like oh you look good not in a skirt or whatever like mm-hmm. he's basically giving her the kind of demand that her boyfriend is also giving her yes he is which which creates like a very like it, it makes it less clear cut because mm. if you're just like oh he's actually just this really nice guy who's kind of schlubby who's good at sex and lets her be who she wants to be and then the the boyfriend or fiance or whatever was the one like just trying to get her to be a certain thing then it would be a very kind of straightforward story. But, it, but that line right there is the one that makes it like, oh, actually, this is a bit more like real life where there's a complication yeah. there where she's still kind of, she leans more toward it, but she kind of needed somebody to just tell her, this is, I want you to be like this. Yeah. And it lines up with, with what she wants to be. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was my only kind of added take. Yeah, I guess it- Chris the difference saying. between being supportive and being controlling is whether or not the person you're telling to do stuff wants to do it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I appreciated the fact that this is 16 pages, not just from the fact that uh, I desperately needed a shorter uh, book to yeah. read, <laughs> but the fact that you can, like, it's 16 pages, but there's enough complexity there in which if it was a 200 page with that kind of complexity, then we'd just be like confused by the end and we'd just move on with our lives. But because yeah. it's 16 pages, it affords us a chance to kind of keep going back to it and rereading it and picking up certain things and with a more clearer view. Yeah. So I, I, I really liked it. Like, I think that 
we haven't talked much about the the art itself, but it's 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 interesting. It's clean. It's professional. It's like yeah, it's it's lovely to look at. Mm-hmm. There's nice little touches to the characters. I, I like Asano, the hunky betrothed. <laughs> yeah, her boyfriend. He the, the the beautiful pattern jacket and like yeah. the weird little the weird little bursts around him. <laughs> because yeah, like both main characters really like the pretty boys. And they're both disappointed by them. <laughs> the fact that the schlubby guy is good at sex and that she's kind of surprised at it brings to mind one of the worst scenes in movie history. Though as a kid, it was the best scene in movie history because I had no concept of consent, which was Revenge of the Nerds, where mm. the nerd ends up sleeping with the football uh, the the football jocks, yeah, girlfriend, the cheerleader, wearing like a Darth Vader outfit. And then afterwards, the, the mask comes off. And she's like, oh, my God, it's a nerd. But you're so good at sex. He's like, because, you know, uh, uh, I have to work hard at it or whatever. I forget what he says, but, you know, <laughs> you know 10-year-old me was like, yes, yes, nerds are good at sex. There's there's hope for me. And now as an adult, I'm like, oh, my God, he, he sexually assaulted her. This is horrible. Yeah. I'm not putting that clip in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> please, please, please don't. But but yeah, it's funny when I hit that point of this, I'm just like, oh man, that's like such a Revenge of the Nerds thing. Just like that clicked in my head. Yeah, it's like, oh yeah, the schlubby guy is actually you know good at sex, which is not actually necessarily the case. I <laughs> I have no segue. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have a Revenge of the Nerds two scene you want to no. pull out. I do have a question. On the page where it says they're drinking buddies, what's Akimi's occupation? Is it operator or something else? It says operator, yeah. which could be anything. That's a weird... Mm-hmm. That was the one thing in this whole thing where I was like, that translation choice about that person's job is weird. Yeah. Because the only thing operator means in English is telephone operator, like call the operator. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's like he could work in operations or production or something. Like maybe they both work in the same... So I don't know. I have the feeling that this is small enough that us just even bringing this up is going to get a direct response from the translator, <laughs> which is another reason I don't like doing indie books. I don't I don't want them listening to what I think of their books. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's I don't know. Operator is just like didn't mean anything to me other than like it sounded like it was a direct translation as opposed to you could work in production or he could be an op manager for okay. you know, a magazine like they could work in the in the same field but not necessarily with together seems about right he's not dressed like a straight up salary man so i was gonna say that that page as well the fact that he lays it all out for her says what he wants to do and says what do you say which is like the opposite of the revenge of the nerd scene which is (laughs) like which is like really (laughs) straightforward (laughs) it's really straightforward consent conversation and also asking her a question, which you can already kind of tell her boyfriend doesn't do, except when he says, mm. what was it? Easy enough to skip through. It's something else that's nice about the short books for the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why are you going out of your way to tell me that? Mm. Which, is, yeah. which is not really a question. Yeah. So yeah, so I I like that because like the boyfriend seems to be just like kind of telling her what to do, and the mm-hmm. fact that like this whole story starts with with a schlubby guy. I keep forgetting his name. Akimi. Yeah, 
basically just asking her a question and ha- and her having to be like, oh, okay, yeah, do I want to do this? It's a tough question to pull off, but man. it is. It is. <laughs> I ask it every day, and it doesn't get any easier. Akemi is kind of can be both a male and female name too, so that's why I had to go back and read. It's like which one's Akemi and which one's Midori. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, Deb, and I think Christopher too. Like looking at like the visual storytelling in this one, what category of manga would you put put it in? Is this kind of drawing from Jose traditions, boys love? Like it's got the flowers, so I immediately think shoujo, but it's clearly like not a shoujo tale. I would say Jose, right? It it reminded me of like when Kyoko Okazaki. A little mm. bit. The Helter Skelter mm-hmm. book we read earlier. She does, Starfruit Books also publish another series by her called Pop Life, which mm. is longer. And it's basically about five people sharing an apartment, like a single mom and her two kids and her friend, and I think mm-hmm. another guy. I still only read the first couple of chapters, but it's an example of her moving, telling a longer form story. But it does have that same kind of, you know, matter of fact slice of lifeness. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It doesn't telegraph its moves. I'll put it that way. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's really that's a good vibe for books, like Chip was saying. I think something about the lips on the character, page twelve, especially the sort of three quarter profile shot with the lips breaking the line of her cheek, is like most Jose illustration. It just became this really popular style. And if you even go back in time, Moyoko Ano used to draw like this, like a lot actually in her earliest works and like uh, Buffalo gals and stuff. Mm-hmm. I feel like it comes out of a very strong Jose tradition, even if her work isn't necessarily being serialized in Jose magazines. I actually don't have any idea on the author's background in terms of like where this was serialized or where their other work was serialized, but yeah, it feels Jose. It feels like, you know, that kind of space and the shoujo touches that it does have like the little blobs of color around, mm-hmm. <laughs> around Mizori's boyfriend or the like pattern background in the reactions to the very pretty boy in the leopard print vest and stuff like that. I thought were really nice, but we're all, we're also commentary in the same way, like not only on the character, like not only on the situation, but the characters and like all of it, like it's like that kind of thing is a, is a comment using those kind of things to show where he's coming from, as opposed to where these sort of other more realistic characters are coming from. Mm-hmm. The fact that when the hands touch, there's like Sakura blossom petals around them on page eight. It's like, which I think in the language of flowers, which I'm not super up on. So I was going to ask, because I don't know that. anything about flowers. No, they're, they're, yeah. They're little tulips. Are they tulips in there? Yeah, it's little tulips. Oh yeah. It matches the panel at the top as well. Oh, I guess they are tulips, aren't they? Maybe. Yeah. Well, there you go. But See, in the show notes, Chris. Language of flowers and shoujo. All right, Erica Friedman, please reach out. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I want to go back to what Chip said because that is the, I think that really is the turning point for the story. This was my sort of last revelation mm-hmm. listening to you talk about it. And it's the fact that ultimately our 48-year-old schlubby male protagonist, uh, Akemi, isn't really that different from her fiance. He still has things that he likes and doesn't like in a sexual partner. He still has things that he wants her to do. And the only difference is that, like you said, David, she's kind of on board with that. It's what she wanted to hear, what she wanted to, she needed to hear at that moment. And I think that like she's, she literally 
spends the first 10 pages, 12 pages cheating on her fiance with a dude who just asked her coffee on the street. And she's like, sure. <laughs> and it's like, they're both, I think the ultimate message of the story is that they're both damaged. They're both really damaged actually by society, by expectations that are put on them by whatever. And just like, but they're not damaged anymore, any less than anybody else's like, and they're both just like the ways in which they're each puffed up kind of complement each other and it feels good for them to be together and it's what they need right then at that moment. And I think that that's the ultimate message is that like, yeah, you can, you, you can look at the boys, you can admire them a great deal. The prettier the boy, the better as the book starts off the blood red boy might be this like male ideal that you're into, but just because you don't live up to that doesn't mean you don't get to have sex or relationship or romance. You have this ideal boy that you are clearly failing to live up to in the first 15 pages. And it's only in the 16th page when you sort of realize that and you're together with someone that makes you feel good in the moment that you find that, that boy that you've been looking for. Because quite frankly, if, if, if a county hadn't just had sex with Midori, when, you know, this like Omasaharu, the like hot, you know, leopard, leopard vest boy comes up to him and is like, Hey, we have sex for money. feels like it could have gone either way. Like it feels like very much he could have said yes, or maybe yeah. like, had said yes to similar requests from other guys in the past. And it's only because he just actually got to have sex with the person that he was really, really attracted to, who was a girl, that he maybe had the standing to say no. Likewise, it's reflected in the next scene where she goes and she says something incredibly sweet and ridiculous, like, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make you happy to her boyfriend. And her boyfriend's like, What the hell are you talking about? She's like, Right. Yeah, this isn't working either. And it's the scenes, there's a lot of symmetry. There's a lot of ideas being reflected back and forth at one another, where it's like, yeah, she puts herself out there in the same way that she was just put out, like he just put himself out to her and is rejected, whereas she accepted him. And likewise, you know, oh, I'm this boy that you've always fantasized about. And you've been going out of your way to help and doing nice things. You got me a job. You got me, you've lent me all this money in the past. Here you go. You can have me. And he says, no. He says, are you just that stupid? And it's like, yeah, he would have absolutely said yes. He would, you know, Masahato wouldn't have offered him that if he didn't think there was like a real good <laughs> yeah. chance it was going to work out. So, yeah, there's like another level of like what this story is trying to convey, in my humble opinion. And it's like, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be perfect for the person you're with. And that's, again, like not a, you know, it's not totally unknown in Shoujo and Jose Manga that I've read, but it's certainly not the regular <laughs> opinion expressed. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that was, that's the last thing I want to say based on what Chip said, because I think he, he saw that that's sort of what makes this a little bit special too. That's good. And you three talking about like the little touches that you've noticed, it made me realize that on page nine, when Midori is like finding the nice clothes that her fiance wants her to wear, they also have the tags on. Yeah, yeah. it's true. She doesn't wear them. Oh, yeah. yeah. Says, please oh, wear some presentable clothes today. Yeah. And she's oh. like, the way she's weighing it up and like smoking this cigarette, it's so. Yeah. It says, why are you still at home? Come on. I'm counting here. Take a taxi. I need you here. My parents are here waiting. Please, for the love of God, wear some presentable clothes today. Like, like I, I missed that. Red part. flag. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the tags. That's so. That's a, that's a nice great. little detail. Right. Yeah. Yeah, my other, I have one last little detail to share, and then I want to do final thoughts. But he really does, Akimi goes back to his office and makes a cup of coffee, and he's sitting at clearly at a desk. 
well, Midori calls him and he says, welcome home. And I think that's also mm-hmm. very, it's sweet, like on a romantic level, but I think it's a sign that these two, you know, assuming the relationship goes on and continues, are going to kind of rescue each other from their circumstances. Because yeah. he goes to the office because he's lonely. And she, you know, puts up with her crappy fiance, you know, probably for a similar reason. I kind mm-hmm. of got that feeling. Yeah. I don't know. It's cool. And like, I love that bringing it to the crew immediately made me understand the story on like another level. Like every one of your answers, <laughs> even Chip saying, I, I agree with Chris, like had some kind of <laughs> new kernel in there for me. Yes. <laughs> Sure, Chris said it, but if yeah, but, but I agree with maybe it. they're coming here. <laughs> oh, we didn't do the manga explaining color check. Like technically, this is a, a one color, <laughs> color manga. But how did y'all feel about it being printed kind of in this red reddish tone? I thought it was a nice touch. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I liked it. It made me think that there was some like super deep meaning to like the blood red boy, and I was kind of expecting it to end in murder. To be completely honest with you, before I read it, yeah. <laughs> And, it, and I was just like, oh, man, this is when does the murder happen? And it doesn't. It doesn't happen. Thank God. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I think the red ink, it's especially if you're going to do digital comics like that. If you can do stuff like that, that's cool. Yeah, that's a, that's a cool idea. Mm-hmm. I want to give a shout out to Starfruit Books for picking up a book like this. They're, yeah, they are picking up, you know, I mean, there is a bunch. Of, obviously, we've talked a lot about like now how compared to how manga was before, where it was a lot of. Very, it was a very narrow selection of titles, right? Like sci-fi, action, and stuff like that. And now it's very broad, but even still, mm. there's still a lot of space for independent work or work that's a little out of the mainstream to be published. And I think it's really nice that Starfruit's doing this. Just to kind of also give a shout out to that, they're also on Azuki, which is a manga streaming service, an all-you-can-read manga service. Um, so most of Starfruit books are there included with the monthly subscription price that's awesome like imagine going back to like 1992 and getting like a subscription to like love and rockets you know come straight to your house uh i guess they kind of had that but you know i didn't anyway let's do final thoughts let's go deb christopher chip you definitely (laughs) got a great batting average for bringing us stuff that is outside of my usual reading sphere Mm-hmm. And giving mm-hmm. us a chance to really think about different types of stories and different types of subject matter, tone, and so on. So even though it wasn't something that I, I immediately read as a, and told all my friends to go read it, I, yeah. I think this conversation was really fun. Unlike Raw Hero, <laughs> which Jeb went out and told everyone. <laughs> oh, yeah. Screenshots yeah. galore. <laughs> also, did you... Like, I feel like I have a very defined brand on my explaining at this point. <laughs> Did you expect me to recommend a book like this? Being someone who knows my taste pretty well at this point. There was not enough fighting. It's true. <laughs> there were cigarettes, though, there which w- I think is the... <laughs> mm, yeah. Runo? <laughs> I, I, exactly sh- I wasn't exactly sure why you picked it other than, say, with San Rocky and Bullwinkle. I don't know, for something completely different, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Thank you. Christopher. Yeah, I didn't know why you had picked this, but I did just sort of trust it was going to have something. Actually, that's why maybe also subconscious I was waiting for the murder. To <laughs> yeah. I wanted more smut, uh, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, David Brothers recommended the blood red boy. Yeah. <laughs> no murder, no killing. Hang on. <laughs> I, I really, I like the art in this a lot, and I think a lot of people get tripped up sometimes with what they think of as alternative manga. 
because it doesn't look like the manga that they're used to. You know, you think of a lot of like indie or artsy manga. You started off talking about DQ and fanographics, mm-hmm. and you know, I would say a good fifty percent of that is drawn in a way that would not be considered commercial by today's standards. Maybe it was commercial even at the time, but uh, it definitely doesn't seem like commercial manga today. And this actually does, but it also has, as I hope we outlined here, a lot going on as well. I don't think there's anything wrong with art manga that is also pretty. And I think that a lot of the indie, artsy, whatever, like unless it's ugly, I think I've met a few people in my time, unless it's ugly, they think it can't, it can't be as good as it could be if it were also really ugly. It's really good. But if it helps, a chemist drawn pretty ugly, which I think is great, actually. <laughs> they don't pull punches. Uh, and there's little things, too. There's lots of little, going back to like early episodes of manga explaining, I was trying not to do this, but like lots of little tells, like the fact he's not dressed like a salaryman or that he's got chin scruff, which like you can't have if you work at, you know, a real ass corporation in Japan for the most part. Yeah. It's like either clean shaven or full, you know, perfectly groomed facial hair but even then that's pretty rare so there's lots of little cultural tells and i think it's there's a lot here to sink my teeth into and it was you know it was pretty i actually really enjoyed spending time with this manga i feel like i've been on these streets as well which is always nice with photo ref backgrounds and things maybe want to read her full length that starford's doing i think comes out in march yeah uh, march 22 they've got and this is a great title not all girls are stupid A one-volume collection of short stories about sexuality, love, and the human condition, each colored with Kyuta's unique perspectives. Wow. I imagine this is in that collection, right? Like, that's this is like a a single from that collection? Uh, Maybe. I'm excited to find out. The promo image for it is a drawing of a lady sitting up in bed, basically Kyuta illustrating a photo she saw once and explaining that she thought the sagging breasts in the photo were cool, so she stopped wearing a bra so she could get them herself. (laughs) <laughs> which is yeah. i'm sold i'm in yeah so that yeah final thoughts i think whether you are afraid of alternative manga because you think it's going to be uncommercial and difficult and but if you do you know i think you should check this out likewise if you like alternative manga and this looks a little too pretty you look at that image that's up on the website and it's a little bit too much too shoujo or too jose whatever that could possibly mean uh, you should still give it a check out there's a there's a lot here to to sink your teeth into it's good stuff awesome and chip take us home i liked it <laughs> <laughs> no it was, it was i I really enjoyed it and i think a, a lot of that has to do with the fact that a recent spate of books dealing with the classic uh manga i'm looking mostly at common rider and, and devil man which are just like just over the top kind of unplanned just yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just wild kind of superhero-y comics. I was I was definitely getting a, a pretty pretty tired of those, and this was a real nice antidote to that. And and like I said earlier, like I, I really appreciate um I appreciate the format. Short stories are are I think harder to do than longer stories, and the fact that they've made this complex enough that it rewards the reread makes it a real ideal short story. So I recommend people actually go out and spend the $2 and download it. Yeah. Spend $4, buy it in English and Spanish. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) But so thank you. That was a great conversation about Minami Kyuta's The Blood Red Boy from Starfruit Books, available from starfruitbooks.com or the streaming service Azuki. Is streaming a fair way to describe Azuki? Yeah, streaming. Azuki.co. Azuki.co. There we go. 
And there's more Kyuta on the way in March. There's Pop Life available now if you need something to read once you finish The Blood Red Boy and read it a couple dozen times. And now we're going to take a break and then we're going to play an ad and then we're going to do as much Q&A as we can until we pass out. See you soon. Woo. We served you an ad and now we are going to serve you some more entertainment, manga explaining style. So for, I don't know, a year now, we've been threatening to do a lot of Q&A ever since the beginning of the podcast and kind of slacking on <laughs> a little bit. But it's fun, like talking to listeners, like getting feedback is a big part of the reason why the podcast is so fun for me personally. I don't know about the other three, but hopefully it's the same. And no. I wanted to take, ah, of course, <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to take this time after our Blood Red Boy conversation to do a little bit of Q&A and catch up on, you know, the manga explaining community. If we can call it that. Are we allowed yeah. to call it that? Or is that kind of cult-like? Community seems nice, don't you think? Okay. We'll manga community is probably the nicest way. Because if, okay. you, if you call the manga splaining heads or whatever, then yeah. that <laughs> makes it cult-like. Manga splaining zombies. Yeah. I like that Danny Gonzalez and just calls all of his fans Greg. They're all just uni- individually and uniformly Greg. <laughs> nice. He must have face blindness. <laughs> 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 But I want to start with a question that I asked on an episode, because that's how Q&A works, where I said, if you had to do a BL metamorphosis that was just as kind as the original series, the manga that all of us loved very much on the show, but with another genre or type of manga, what would you do? And we got a few answers, and it's pretty cool. A Sea of Reads, R-E-A-D-S, a website, they answered that they would take it in the direction of sports and make it a martial arts comic. Their personal experiences with the martial art of Tai Chi, so they would probably write about that instead of Japanese martial arts. Tai Chi has had a positive impact on their life, and they've heard numerous stories from other people on how it's had a positive impact on their lives as well. And I've had the same experience with martial arts, so I'm all about it. Please write it so I can read it. RG24 at R-G-A-L-L-A-R-D-24 on Twitter said they would do shoujo because everyone thinks that it's just romance series, but there's way more to shoujo than that, like horror and stories about girl and women's work, studies and general problems. And that's something that's come up on the podcast over and over whenever we discuss shoujo is kind of chip and also myself learning about the different types of stories within shoujo or within shonen, within these kind of categories that we use as genres. And finally, Sun Sparkles, Steph Brown, at Sunlit Lake on Twitter said, not a genre, but they have lots of manga and comics about artists. So maybe one about translators would be cool and informative and maybe shed a little light on the world for some people. And I think that would be cool too, but I feel like I w- would translators fight to translate a book about translators? <laughs> you know, is that too close to home? <laughs> maybe. I fight to not translate it actually. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> but so we got questions from listeners as well. I want to. Oh no! Actually, I wanted to say something real quick. Yeah, I, I actually had ideas for that. I wasn't sure what you were going to do with when you asked to open the floor to questions on those. I was going to steal I the ideas say, and publish them myself. There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mine was actually gay manga. I know so hmm. many Japanese gay mangaka that have done comics, and their stories, their personal stories, are really interesting. For for the most part, it's sort of like BL in that it's a side hobby that you can't really make a living full time just doing comics. Like very few people have do, and some people have like real day jobs. Some of them are out and some of them aren't out even and in their day jobs. And I think that that would be sort of a fascinating situation. I know we haven't read game manga in here, so maybe it doesn't resonate quite as hard with the, with the panel here, but yeah, man, there's something about the idea that you go home and may like 
hyper explicit gay comics and are like a superstar in one sort of part of the world and then completely different sort of some like miley cyrus hannah montana stuff there (laughs) (laughs) throbbing penises and yeah i think that'd be really fun i would read that book i would read the hell out of that book so that's my take. i feel like i can see the cover like what were you gonna (laughs) say chip well, whereas my BL metamorphosis would be for straight manga. Mm. <laughs> I think it's just it's such a interesting world, a straight manga. It's true. It could bring people really, together. I think there's only one story you could tell. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Deb, do you have a metamorphosis that you'd like to tell? Mm. I, I feel like so much of the, the topics that I really enjoy, like the wine tasting I enjoyed. I enjoyed the manga about the woman who became a Michelin star, like mm-hmm. inspector. Mm, I guess maybe about, I guess maybe about, uh, it's probably my history, but maybe about Hawaiian history. Oh, mm. that would yeah, be cool. Yeah. That would be kind of cool. That would be cool. I think pe- people are kind of scared of it a little bit because, you know, you, you don't want to do it disservice, but I think there's a lot of great stories. Yeah, for sure. And there's like an increasing visibility for like Hawaiian issues and the people that are kind of abusing and exploiting the islands. I think like now would be a really good time for that. That's awesome. Yeah. I was going to say that this sounds dumb in the wake of Debs, but mine was going to be Jim Starlin warlock metamorphosis. <laughs> where two people bond over <laughs> <Yeah>. Jim Starlin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down with that too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but let's see how many of these we can get through. We're going to start with a question from longtime listener and friend to the podcast and podcasters, Erica Friedman. This says, I have a question for you this week. I don't, I didn't copy down which week this came in, but it was probably very early in our run. (laughs) It seems that most of you approach reading manga from a very visual perspective, which seems obvious as it is a visual medium. Has there been a manga or graphic novel that captivated you because of the story or characters, despite art that wasn't really up to the task? I think for this one, Manga, American comics, French comics, whatever you got. Have there been any where you were like, this art is not great, but the story's so good I can't resist? Lots. Like, actually, lots and lots. And we get into the I don't want to shit on stuff space, I guess, in talking yeah. about that. But I think there's, I think this is, so here's a, here's a from the vault. So one of the books that I helped Viz acquire while I was there is called That Blue Sky Feeling. And it's written by a gay mangaka based on his doujinshi. And it's illustrated when he sort of made it to the big time and they wanted to turn his doujinshi into an ongoing series. They got a professional artist to draw it. And she's great. I think she adds a lot. I can't remember her name, unfortunately, and it's too far away to grab. But I think she adds a lot to it and it's really good in his own. And you could see where it started with his art and what she brought to the table and why it was so good and so important. And I think it would have been a very different book if he, she hadn't drawn it and looking at some of the doujinshi that he did you can kind of tell that yeah he wasn't there to draw the thing some of the things that he needed to draw to tell a story that's like set in high school and has lots of different settings and things like that so it was that was something that was like oh you not necessarily what erica's asking but it's like i always want to i always want a writer artist at the end of the day i want the person who writes the story to draw the story if they're up to the task and i think I would have been more disappointed if that particular three-volume series had been drawn by him rather than the artist it was drawn by because I don't like he you know he's a very young artist he wasn't at maybe pro level at that point and I think that that's hard as a comic snob <laughs> to admit 
that like actually him not drawing it himself, even though it's a gay story and it's him telling his own story or in, inspired by his life. Yeah, I'm glad he got someone else to draw that. But in his follow-up, which Square is publishing now, uh, right now called, I think my son is gay, <laughs> which is oh, I love so that. Cute. It's so sweet. He actually does write and draw that one, and he, his art is fantastic. Like he's been obviously busting his butt in the in the meantime to bring it up, and it looks great. And it looks it 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 has that thing that good writer artists do, where it looks indivisible. Like the writing and the art looks indivisible from one another because of the way he's doing it. So. Yeah, I think that that's a roundabout way of of answering that question that doesn't shit on any books. <laughs> I don't know exactly what Erica wanted. Oh, nice. Deb has it. Of course, Deb has it. Of course, Deb has a copy. Yeah, I think my answer to that might be there have been lots of books that I really enjoyed despite bad art, but it's something I learned as I grew up. Like my taste kind of changed or I learned like how to appreciate certain technical things because I was like a Marvel kid, like X-Men crossovers for my bread and butter. And there's a few of those rereading where I'm like, oh, this is still really good. Last year, I did a podcast with the comicbookherald.com crew, wow. their 1992 podcast on the Executioner's Song. And, you know, it's very oh positive because it's one oh of my, my favorites. Oh, my gosh. Wow. But also, like, there's a lot of really ugly drawings in those books. <laughs> and it was sort of oh, like yeah. the style of the time. It was a product of its era, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't appreciate, appreciate it the same way now. And I kind of don't read those kind of books anymore. But I think it gave me a good foundation for what Chris was saying, which was appreciating what a writer artist can bring to a book or like a writer and artist who are really in tune with each other can bring to a book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Much like David, I was a Marvel reader. Still am technically because yeah. I am paid to. You do have to read your own scripts. <laughs> I do. And so like, as is, as is usually the case, there'll be a writer on a title for a long period of time. And the artists that they're paired with can be hit or miss. So if you're really into a book, then you kind of you kind of suffer through some of the bad art and, and ride the waves of the good art and just hope that the uh, the bad art isn't enough to knock you off of a of a title. Yeah. And you know, I've 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 experienced it myself as a creator. Like sometimes this is this is a, a shock that maybe I'm not necessarily a huge fan of some of the artists that have been on my books that uh, I don't have control over. But it's just it's just it's just part of it, right? Mm-hmm. But like I remember being a kid, like Peter David's Hulk. I love Peter David's Hulk. But every once in a while, there'd be an artist, <laughs> and I'd be like, "Nope." <laughs> and eventually, eventually, it hit the point where I was like, "Yeah, I actually can't read this anymore." Like yeah. when the art is not to my taste or conflicts with the story enough that it just takes me out of it completely, and I can no mm-hmm. longer justify spending the whatever it was at that time two three bucks. On yeah. a book. My worst example of that is when Mike Mignola guest starred on X Force, like oh, six or seven. Oh, yeah. And I was like, where's where's the Rob? What is yeah. this guy yeah. with all these shadows <laughs> and good layouts and storytelling? Yeah. Who's this amateur coming in? <laughs> <laughs> well that that's that's super funny. Like uh, like even when I was like like in high school and really into Sandman. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I found that really hard because they they change artists every arc basically, yeah. and like some of them I just like no no, but I'll still keep buying because I am a goth I swear. <laughs> but now, but now looking back at it all, I'm just like oh no, like they're all really solid artists. Like I just wasn't into the style at the time where I couldn't understand the substance that was actually happening. Yeah, I've got a question for Deb directly. Actually, this is also from Erica. It comes down to this is because I know how much manga you have in your house and how much you <laughs> have <over> time. 
What manga or comic will you never be parted with? The one you'd grab if you had time before running out the door in an emergency. And we'll expand well, it so that you can do series. If you have a tub of <laughs> something. <laughs> oh, that's so hard. Oh, that yeah. makes you cry. <laughs> um, I guess the only thing I can think of that would be absolutely irreplaceable is the autographed copy I have of a Takehiko Inoue art book. Oh man! That he, yeah, he, he drew a he drew a picture in it for me. Mm-hmm. I I really really loved that, and I should probably put that in a place that's easy for me to grab. Maybe put it in my earthquake bag. <laughs> 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 I don't know, but other than that, I mean, like I like I said, I love Emma a bunch. That's one of my go to. Oh yeah, like, that's I want really I want to I want to feel good again. I'll read that again. Mm. Most everything else is pretty much replaceable. You know, like it would be painful and expensive in a lot of ways. Yeah. But, you know, that's, you know, you kind of have to limit yourself to what you absolutely could never get again. Maybe my Legend of Kamui books. <laughs> oh, those are nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those are. That means it has this pearlescent cover and it's the two volumes. I feel like you let me borrow those for like six months one time. <laughs> oh, did I really? <laughs> See, that's how much I love you, David, that I trusted right? <laughs> you with that. <laughs> Christopher, do you have anything? I've been. I already did the purge from my house where it's anything I could get back in again yeah. that I could reasonably buy in the format that I prefer. I didn't have any sentimentality and I mostly purged it. I've still got a bunch of absolute editions that I'm kind of on the fence about. Yeah, I don't know. I have a lot of stuff that's signed uh, that's really important to me. Honestly, like I, I have a piece of Tayo Matsumoto art and I would probably save that. I'm really lucky to have that. And but any of his books or anything like that, I can buy another book. I can go see Tayo-san in, in Japan and get him to sign it again if I need to. Humble brag. Yeah, wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? The one thing I can't replace right now that I have is Mr. Tatsumi, uh, when he was alive, signed a book for me and did, an, uh, did a sketch in it. And then when I went back, when I went to Japan and I interviewed him, a couple, uh, maybe a year before he passed away, I pulled out, I pulled out a book from the beginning of his career that he was very embarrassed by and he didn't he doesn't really care for much of his rental manga his rental period kashoban period manga where he was like he was doing he was doing like 32 or longer page stories in like a week like that level of like just getting it out there Mm -hmm. and i pulled one out and i'm like would you sign this for me and he's like i haven't seen one of these in 20 years and i swore i would never sign it and then he signed it wow And so I've got a rental manga that that Mr. Tatsumi drew the cover for that he signed for me. I was really, I felt, we we had a good laugh about it. It was okay. But yeah, I actually was cleaning up the shelves and I found that and I had like a whole moment about it just a a month ago. So yeah, of all the manga I have, of all the books I have that I can recall on the top of my head on this podcast yeah i think that's the one that's maybe most special that i could never i could never replace and frankly he said he would never sign a copy so <laughs> i might have the only one that's, <laughs> it was already like that's great 1950 like maybe maybe it's the only one in existence how did you nice. get it you went yeah. to mandarake and bought it yeah i found i went i went to three mandarakes wow. actually and my japanese at that point was not it was almost non-existent i couldn't read anything but i had figured i'd memorized his name in kanji uh. so i was going through and I would basically go up to a whole bookshelf, like a whole ass bookshelf, and pull every book off the shelf and just look in the table of contents looking for his name. So oh. I did that at three different Mandarake over the course of two or three weeks. And 
finally found two that had stories in them. One had a cover by him. And so that's the one I got him to sign. Oh, how neat. Yeah, it's, yeah. The Osaka printed rental Kashiban market is very small right now, actually. <laughs> so I got really lucky. And I've never seen, every time I've gone back to this Mandarake, they've got like two shelves of that material. They don't have that whole bookcase anymore. So it's getting rarer and rarer. So I feel pretty good about that. Cool. Chip, what about you? So when I was in high school, so my, my, my birthday is December 21st, which means I get presents just one time a year. Aww. But it means I can kind of double up a little bit. So I, I remember mm-hmm. getting birthday money one year when I was in high school and some Christmas money. And there was a, a book that was at our local comic shop in uh, Barrie, Ontario. Beaver Comics, it was called. Make all the jokes you want. <laughs> And there's a book there, and I was just like, I was just like, I saved my money for it, and like this was it, and I bought it. And I didn't know anything about it except for the fact that it was Batman. It looked cool as hell, and I know he's a, as the kids say, a problematic fave now, but it's this complete Frank Miller Batman. Oh, wow, man. Yeah. nice. Which is like a you know the leather bound with like the 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 silver is your spine coming off. It's coming off. So like so so I got it and I read it, and it's my first time reading Batman Year One and Dark Knight Returns. Just back to back. That's crazy. And also, <laughs> the funniest part is just it's the complete Frank Miller Batman. So, so on the spine you can see it's Batman Year One, Dark Knight Returns, and right in the middle, Wanted Santa Claus Dead or Alive, which was the only <laughs> other Frank Miller story at the time. So that's that's the kind of forgettable one in this. But I just I devoured it, and as you can see by the book, it's falling apart. But what makes it super special is the fact that like when I went to college, I brought it with me. And I made a friend in college, and I lent it to him. And then he got kicked out of school and disappeared. <laughs> so the book was gone. It was just gone. That's it. Possibly used in a felony. Possibly used in a felony. <laughs> and then, like, oh man, 10 years, 15 years later, like, when Facebook kind of came about, like, he reached out to me, and he was in town, and he had something for me, and it was this book. <gasps> wow. Amazing! So, so, so this, this, is, this is the copy. And it was even worse for wear. As you can see, it's all kind of falling apart here. Yeah. Oh. But yeah, yeah. I just have such fond memories of, of of having my mind blown in high school by this book. Yeah, it would be the one that I'd probably save from the fire. Oh, that's but, so yeah, cool. that's like meant to be. You would hate <laughs> what my first Frank Miller Batman book was, by the way. Which was? <laughs> Spawn Batman, the McFarlane drawn one. Uh, you know what? <laughs> It's super fun. It really is. It's, it's super so fun. dumb. And it's canon, which is another thing entirely. But, uh, what? <laughs> What's my... I would ca- I would grab my color Akira volumes, I think. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, they were... I got one for my uncle when I was a kid, and it sort of really shifted my taste. And then in high school, I was living in Virginia at the time, in Hampton, Virginia. And there was a comic shop on the way to school when I would walk there. And when you know I was looking, I would never have enough money. But I noticed these two Akira hardcovers for like 20 bucks each. And I knew the movie. I was like, holy crap, I didn't know there were hardcovers. And so I asked, and he's like, yeah, nobody freaking wants those, kid. You can just have them for like 15 or something. Wow. And so I got them, and I've had them ever since for probably 22 years now. Wow. At a steal, because, you know, comic shops didn't understand manga at the time. <laughs> Amazing. Don't, don't. Yeah, they still don't. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. There's some really good ones, but sometimes you have to work a little bit. Yeah. But so in true manga explaining fashion, I think it took us 20 minutes to answer two questions. <laughs> no, man, come on. We got we to do at least one more. Yeah. Okay, we'll do a All couple right. short ones and then we will call it. All right. Let's see. Mm. This one, 
is from Paul Tessinier, who's Paul on Twitter. He says, I've been trying to get caught up before asking questions, but I'm curious for insight on how books stay in print. I've gone head over heels for Naoki Urasawa since I started reading manga a year ago, and I can't find one volume of Pluto and one of Monster. Should I trust it to come back? I don't know if Deb or Chris would have a funnier... Like the answer is yes and no, kind of. If you'd asked me before this year, I would have been like, yeah, don't worry. Those are both perennials. They'll stay in print. But the printing shortage and the distribution issues and everything like that, like, I don't... Oh, so here's 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 my official answer. Monster is in the edition that it is available in in Japan. The sort of red oversized bind up volumes of Monster are what Monster is collected as as the sort of permanent edition of Monster in Japan. So I would trust that if they're going to keep working with Urasawa and the fact that they're translating Asadora right now means that they are going to keep all of Urasawa's books in print. Yeah, I am sure that that Monster volume, you know, on a month where there's not 30 Shonen Jump trades, and they've got some space at the printers, I would trust that that volume of Monster will eventually come back. I don't know that it'll be quick, but I do trust it'll eventually come back. Pluto, on the other hand, hasn't gotten an upgraded treatment yet, and there are upgraded treatments of Pluto in Japan that include like color pages and things like that, oversize, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I would have said at once upon a time, there's no way they would let Pluto go to print, but they actually might to do a bind-up edition Four volumes is easier to keep in print than eight. You know what I mean? So I if I if I had to spend a stupid amount of money on one of those two books, I'd spend it on the volume of Pluto. And I'm talking, don't pay over a hundred bucks, but like, I don't know, man, you want to have a complete set on your shelf. You maybe have to pay $80 for an out of temporarily out of print or between printings book because that's the industry we're in now. And I don't like saying that. It makes me feel gross. And I wish that everything could be in print that was good. But yeah, man, that's how I that's how I feel about it. Sorry. Pretty good. That was a good answer. And yeah. also, I think that Monster is fantastic, but Pluto is like masterwork level. Yeah, hmm. same. I will say that like uh, for one of the reasons why there's a lot of pressure on getting Naoki Urasawa's work in print is for a long time, he was one of the notorious holdouts of digital. Like he, yeah. he refused to have his work published digitally in, in, in Japan or anywhere. Because he was, he felt really strongly about his work being presented as it was intended, as a printed book, and he felt like phones and tablets would only show you one, one page at a time. It just wasn't the ideal reading situation. But within the last month, he's actually released a lot of his work digitally in Japan. Oh, and he actually did a video on his YouTube channel explaining his rationale and why he held off before and why he's ready to start. He's made it available now, so that tells me that. Eventually, that this work will be available digitally in English. I can't promise any dates, but I will say that if it does start to feel painful that you don't know what happens in those volumes, you might have to settle for a digital until the print comes out, and that might happen sooner than we previously thought possible. That would be awesome mm. because the like the manga you would save in a fire question. I was like, I would first grab my iPad because that has all my manga on it. <laughs> you know. I cloud. I cloud. That's, yeah. like, that's like the, that's like asking the genie for a million wishes. Smart. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, does anyone have any shout outs? We've got a bunch more questions, but as we said, we do it till we drop, and it is close to dropping time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had to, I had to add like my mon- yeah. the manga that I like that's ugly. Mm-hmm. It's Skip Beat. Oh, mm. 
Shoujo manga. Skippy is a long running shoujo manga about a girl who becomes an actress and then she's trying to get revenge on her, her childhood friend who is now a singing idol who used her and was a jerk. It's a long running title. The shoujo style has not updated since it started, like in the 90s, I think. <laughs> and has a lot of very pointy chins and very odd facial features. Like the po- chins are so pointy, like they could poke open, you know, a a banana, I don't know. Like it's yeah. just it's a <laughs> banana. <laughs> I couldn't think let me try this again. Like we <laughs> said, it's late. <laughs> it, 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 it could cause definite harm if those characters made out. The noses yeah. are super pointy, the chins <laughs> are super pointy. It just and it's uncomfortable to look at the drawing style sometimes if I think about it too hard. Mm-hmm. But it's so mm-hmm. cracky. It's so shoujo. It's it has all the melodrama I want out of shoujo manga. And I and it's like it better end good because if it ends like Boys of a Flower, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> okay, Boys of a Flower. I'm gonna explain. It's a long running yeah. shoujo manga that I read for a long time, and then it had a really disappointing, lame ass ending. Mm, okay, spoiler. It happens. Five seconds. Yeah. Before five. <laughs> they don't f at the end, and it's like what? <laughs> it's for teenagers. Come on! <laughs> Come on! <laughs> Anyway, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm better now. <laughs> wow, if you're oh, making manga for Deb, those characters better F at the end. That's all yeah. I'm saying. After 30-something volumes, give me some of that. We're going to get so many letters. <laughs> uh, Chris? Shoutouts? Yeah, do you have anything? Is that what we're doing? Yeah. Man, uh, no. <laughs> Sorry. I got, it's all good. I'm trying to... It's like I, the only thing I read this week was the book that we're reading in a couple weeks for for manga explaining, and I really enjoyed it. Oh, look who's prepared! Yeah, wow, I'm trying to Keener. get ahead. Trying to get ahead. <laughs> uh, I wanted to, yeah, yeah. I think I wanted to just shut up. <laughs> Someone else go. Oh, you said you wanted to just shout out, not shut up. <laughs> no, shut up. No, I'm shutting up. Chip, shout outs. I got nothing. Uh, all the media I consumed this week was bad. Even Aww. Righteous Gemstones? <gasps> Except for Righteous Gemstones. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I didn't watch the premiere, but I did watch half of the, a couple episodes of the previous season with a friend. Tell me what it's about. I don't know. Premiere. It's like, I'll let Chip do it. Uh, Jim and uh, Tammy Baker. Oh. It's like a comedy featuring characters kind of inhabiting those kind of roles, but with like a bunch of like kind of messed up relatives and kids. Yeah, just super funny. Funny. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. My shout out is to another book that is printed in red ink and it raises questions of gender and acceptance and identity. It what? is by Emma Rios. It's called ID published by image comics oh, back book. in 2016. Nice. It's a little longer than the blood red boy, but I think it talks about things that are on a similar wavelength. So if you like, if you like one, I bet you'll like the other. And right. on that note, it is forever late. We're going to call it a night. Thank you for listening to Manga Splaining, and we will see you next week. This has been Manga Splaining, episode number 48, The Blood Red Boy by Minami Kyuta. Thanks for listening. For our next episode, we'll be reading Blue Period by Tsubasa Yamaguchi. Want to pick up a copy? Please consider supporting your local comic book and manga specialty shop. 
Find one near you at comicshoplocator.com or check your local library for print and digital lending options. You can follow along with our complete reading lists or find more info on the recently announced Mangasplaining publishing effort at mangasplaining.com. Thanks to DADS for the musical accompaniment this episode. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.